There are a lot of people really upset by the latest rounds of restrictions, but why we're doing this is to keep our healthcare system functioning. Dr. Michael Warner joins us. He's medical director of critical care at the Michael Guerin Hospital. Welcome to the show. You're always so active on Twitter. So uh, that's part of the reason why I've reached out to you this morning. But before we get to your recent tweets, what's the situation like at, at Michael Guerin right now? It's rapidly changing. Uh, so, Kelly, at uh, 7 o'clock this morning when I got the email saying how many COVID patients we had in our organization, the number is 36. I'm literally on the computer right now four hours later, and it's 49. Uh, so in four hours, we've added 13 patients to our hospital with COVID. I went from three patients in the ICU with COVID this morning. Now I have five, which is one-third of my ICU. So in our organization, on the ground today, things are changing very quickly. And I think that's the story at most hospitals, that hour-to-hour things are changing because um, this is hitting everybody all at once. And we're having a cavalcade of patients come in and also outbreaks in hospitals, which are adding to the COVID load as well. I understand that um, William Osler put a code red in place, or code, code orange rather, in place yesterday. What's a code orange, and, and do you have uh, similar measures that might be implemented where you are if you still see the numbers going up and up? A code orange is an internal disaster. So, you know, I don't work at Osler, but they had a supply-demand mismatch between the patients they had to care for and the staff they had available. So they sent patients out and, and asked people to come back to work, and I think the situation there has improved. I think we'll see more of that uh, as hospitals cycle through um, healthcare workers who are becoming sick and unable to work or isolating and unable to work. And as more patients come, I mean, hopefully as people recover from illness or get released from isolation, they can come back to work. And so that at any one time, we won't have you know, more than 50% of our staff off. But even if we have 20 or 30%, you know, consistently for a couple of weeks, that definitely affects our ability to provide care, especially if the number of patients are increasing as well. We've heard constantly about Omicron being far more transmissive, uh, and we are seeing that in real time. The numbers are going up and up. You know, PCR tests are now going to be only available for people working in high risk settings, not for everyone. They say if you're taking a rapid test and it's positive, assume you're positive and isolate. Uh, but we've also heard that it's not as severe Omicron and that, um, that information paired with the transmissibility and the fact that everybody's eventually going to get it, I think is leading to kind of like a complacency, which scares me slightly. Uh, I actually heard someone say, and I don't want to freak you out right now, why don't we just throw a COVID party and get it over with? Can you speak to the subject matter in one of your tweets yesterday? And it was you talking about how all of this talk of Omicron being mild, maybe it should come with a caveat. Can you speak to that? Well, I, I think Omicron, you know, pound for pound is milder than Delta, but it probably isn't milder than the original COVID, the classic COVID that we had in March 2020. Uh, and if you're unvaccinated, it means you're just as vulnerable uh, to severe illness as you were back when COVID started, when people were actually really scared about this. So, yeah, it's milder compared to Delta. Delta was very bad. And, uh, you know, hoping for the best case scenario and planning around the best case scenario. If we think back to what the media was saying three or four weeks, I'm not blaming individuals, but you know, we wanted things to be like South Africa. We wanted it to, you know, go up and go down and not have too many hospitalizations. While other people would say, you know, their average age is 27, ours is over 40. Other than HIV, chronic disease is not a major factor in South Africa as much as it is here. We don't have, we have many more 80 year olds with kidney failure, diabetes and COPD here than they would in sub-Saharan Africa. We're also in winter there in summer. So why would we be anything like 
South Africa. And it's proving that we're not. Okay, we're, we're quite different. Omicron is mild, but as many people have said, a small percentage of an incredibly large number is still a large number of people. And I don't think we'll see as many ICU patients with COVID as we did in wave three when we peaked at 891. That being said, the rate of increase is quite concerning. But if you think about an elderly person who might even be triple vaccinated, who gets a bad cold, which Omicron might be in them, they're unable to eat and drink as well. Maybe they don't have someone to take care of them. Maybe they get confused. They have to go to the hospital. They're in kidney failure. They need oxygen for a day or two or maybe no oxygen. And then it comes time to discharge them. And they can't go anywhere because they can't get home care because they have COVID. Mm -hmm. They can't go into long-term care because they have COVID. And they're stuck in the hospital. So that incidental COVID, which is what people are calling it, it's played out, you know, now over 2,000 people hospitalized in Ontario today, and they'll probably double within 24, 48 hours. You can see how the healthcare system can become paralyzed. And that's the issue. Uh, not thousands of people in the ICU, but thousands mm-hmm. of people in the hospital with COVID and unable to get out of the system or get through the system quickly. And, you know, not to challenge you too much, but that's a very different message than I saw you talk about on Twitter. You said that this is, it's not just uh, older people that you're seeing people that are unvaccinated in severe distress. Okay, well, uh, you're asking me about yeah. the mild part, okay? Yeah, so, no, well, I'm asking yeah. you, is that does, so, should that come with a caveat, though, that it's it's not severe if you're basically vaccinated? It might not be as severe. But if you're unvaccinated, what are you seeing? I guess that's just, um, you know, and I, I'm not to be challenging, not to no, be, I, you know, because I, I know I, you're doing your best. I just, I kind of want, I, I worry about the fact that, Somebody's listening in their car right now, and they're like, aha, you know what I mean? Okay, no, I understand what you're trying to say, but I did say that if you're unvaccinated, Omicron is quite severe, and probably more severe than the original strain of COVID that still put hundreds of people in the ICU. And the, you know, the five patients I have in my ICU vary by vaccination status, but not to be specific, but the majority of them are completely unvaccinated. And so this is a vaccine-preventable disease. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to severe disease. So if you don't want to end up in the ICU, get vaccinated. It really is that simple. There are going to be some people with weak immune systems who will break through even with three shots, but that is the vast minority. That's the actual great story about all this, that notwithstanding how terrible things are, you know, fewer people are going to die of this because we have vaccines, not despite them, but because of them. So if you're listening and you're not vaccinated, or you tell your parents not to get vaccinated, which I've also seen before, those parents who aren't vaccinated are going to end up dying if they get Omicron and end up in the ICU. That could happen. So get off Facebook, listen to doctors who know what they're talking about. And sorry, I'm a little bit hyped up about this because I've seen this over and over again. Yeah. Uh, vaccination is the key to avoiding being in the ICU and avoiding severe outcomes. So just get it done. So, We've got this shutdown going on for at least three weeks when it comes to restrictions uh, in indoor eating and, and, and gyms. We also have kids remote learning right now. And I know there are a lot of parents that are saying, I can't do it anymore. My kids can't take it. I'm not going to put them through it. Um, you actually are the parent of, I believe, three kids. I've heard one of them on your lap before on the show. Absolutely adorable. But you've got to make sure that your kids are taken care of as well. So you're pleading with the province to make sure they do the right thing and, and make schools safe within the next uh, 10 days that things are, you know, paused there for for in-class learning. What does the government need to do, in your opinion, as a healthcare worker to make those spaces safe so that we can actually reopen them in two weeks? 
Yeah, so the, the video I put out this morning, you know, I'm a privileged guy. I have three kids. My wife works full-time. She's a teacher. So today, as I start work at 8 o'clock in the morning for 72 hours straight, she's supposed to be teaching uh, with my toddler in her lap and my other two kids doing Zoom school. I mean, our situation is much better than most because we have resources, but that is being played out in most households you know, with children today. And so my question to the government is, what are you actually going to do to change the situation in schools by January 17th so it is safer? Because the healthcare situation is going to be worse. It's not going to be better. So let's actually have a rapid testing plan in school, test to stay, uh, surveillance testing, instead of just letting it rip. Let's make sure N95s are not just available to teachers and education workers, but also daycare and childcare workers, bus drivers, etc. Where is the blitz to make sure that all education workers have access to a booster before school starts? And why aren't we focusing on getting shots one and two in, in the five to 11-year-olds? Where is the media blitz saying that this will help protect kids? Because when school resumes on January 17th, if it does, we're going to have a revolving door of disruptions that are unscheduled, that are going to disrupt people who, as they try and work and take care of kids, because there's going to be so much COVID in schools. So if you want schools to not reflect community spread, you actually have to make schools safer acknowledging it's airborne, ventilation, HEPA filters, etc. But you can't do nothing and expect the mm-hmm. situation to be better. Well, and it seems like that that's what most um, medical professionals are saying. You know, they understand there's a stress to the system. And so that's why we're restricting things. But they also are saying, like, you had to have a plan in place. And here we are moving into year three of the pandemic. You just can't keep doing the same thing over and over again, because eventually people stop listening. And you know, and that's at the detriment of our, you know, society. Things are becoming fractured. I'm sure you're seeing people treat people differently in uh, the healthcare system when there used to be a lot of respect for healthcare workers. Now I'm hearing it's not the same at all. You know, in the hospital, patients are gracious. Social media is another thing. But um, I would say that, you know, I'm with people. I'm ticked off. I mean, mm-hmm. I-, I want my kids in the school. They're suffering. And uh, people without means are suffering much more. Businesses are getting crushed by this. Like, uh, maybe they need N95s to help open their retail stores so that their workers are, are better, uh, are, are kept safer, etc. I mean, we have. I think we've ignored the way that COVID spreads, which is through the air, by, by being anchored to this droplet idea of wearing, and wearing suboptimal masks. Mm-hmm. And no one could have prevented Omicron. It's a, the train left the station as soon as it arrived, but we could have blunted the wave if we had acted sooner. And we're not doing really anything, I think, to change our situation materially for January 17th to put the government in a position to say, yes, kids go back to school and it's going to be safer than it would be today. Yeah, I can't believe knowing what, what they knew about the possible mutation that they didn't send people uh, proper masks to their house. Every like, look at, We all pay taxes. They know where we live. You could have done that. You could have done rapid tests. It could have been done at downtime when, when things were under control at better times uh, just to get us ready for something like this. By the way, Dr. Warner, I didn't get the ability to thank you. Uh, but you sent a link to my uh, producer, Danny Stover, CanadaStrongMask.ca, and I um, acted very quickly on, on upping my mask game. So I ordered some masks. They're out of stock right now, but I highly recommend that anybody go by and, uh, put yourself on the waiting list. They'll alert you when they're back in stock and up your mask game. Cause it, it, you know, it's the very least we can do is make sure that we're taking care of each other. So I want to thank you on behalf of myself and everybody else is going to take you up on that link. Yeah, my pleasure. You got to, I mean, everyone has to protect themselves at the end of the day and, and protect their family and, and do whatever they think is necessary with the appropriate information to, uh, to do that. 
I know that you've got a very strong voice. Hopefully the, the province is listening. Thank you very much, Dr. Warner. And I appreciate you letting me press you on some things because I think it's important. I mean, I just don't want to give anybody the wrong impression about the messaging and that it's, uh, it's not severe if you're unvaccinated. Absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity. Take care. Have a great day. Cheers. Dr. Michael Warner from the uh, critical care department at the Michael Guerin Hospital.